Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. As you may have noticed, the weekend episode I was trying to get out did not come out. <laughs> I was uh, I was on vacation. I was actually with my sister, with Celia, who I've been recapping the Blackbird show with. And we were planning on covering it, but we watched it at different times. And, you know, families around. And it's just very inconvenient to try to get anything done. So we will have that conversation for you this upcoming week. So we will get back to two episodes a week. But that's okay. I did see that we had a lot of listeners on last week's episode, the Better Call Saul episode. So maybe more people had time to listen to that episode while they were waiting, <laughs> waiting for another one. And just a quick show note that we are wrapping up Better Call Saul next week. This is the finale. Can't believe it. Incredible, right? So close to the mm-hmm. end. Following that, Sona and I will be giving you a recap of the season of Only Murders in the Building. I think there's only three episodes, four episodes left of that show. And uh, then we will have, of course, give you a recap and review of the finale, which is uh, the week after Better Call Saul wraps up, I believe. I will be separately covering the new Game of Thrones spinoff show, House of the Dragon, which begins on the 21st. And then on the 30th, Sona, we begin our coverage of the psychological thriller, another psychological thriller set in a mental hospital. Not so, I mean, I guess maybe coincidentally with uh, Blackbird or maybe intentionally, who knows? And that will be on Hulu, and that will begin on the 30th, and it's called The Patient. So just some things to look forward to. So make sure you subscribe so you know when all that becomes available, all those upcoming episodes. And beyond that, so now I wanted to catch up on a few things from previous conversations we had that you may find interesting. Let's do it. The first thing I wanted to bring up is that, speaking of the Cinnabon connection with Better Call Saul, (laughs) (laughs) next Monday, everybody, if you are a fan of Cinnabon, Cinnabon will be giving away, they have a snack size version of the Cinnabon called Center of the Roll. So they will be giving away a free Center of the Roll. All you have to do is install the Cinnabon app on your phone. And next Monday, the day of the finale, you can go to any Cinnabon and get a free Center of the Roll, which is, of course, the best part of the Cinnabon, by the way. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Speak, speaking of Cinnabons, when we were down the shore, my nephew went out and walked to the bakery, which is maybe half a mile from the house we we're staying at. And they make cinnamon rolls there. And he bought a box of cinnamon rolls for everybody in the house. How nice of him. So yet another connection to this. He, he's not watching Better Call Saul, but if I wanted to get a little taste of a cinnamon bun, given the fact of uh, this conversation, I got my chance this weekend. I just think you can't beat the smell. I don't even like eating them, but the smell is so delicious. There is something special about those cinnamon, uh, cinnabon, by the way, or maybe it's just because you're so in proximity to all the ingredients at once, (laughs) because, you know, having the box in the house really did not have that kind of effect. (laughs) It's the smell, I'm telling you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. One more thing pertaining to the cinnamon roll (laughs) that I did want to call out here, by the way, if you take the deal of getting the free center of the bun you also get a month of free amc plus ah so anybody who wants to catch up on you know maybe next week i'll have some recommendations for things that are amc plus one of the main things i could say if you are a horror movie fan amc plus gets you shutter and of course shutter has basically once every single horror movie (laughs) pretty much, you know, goes through its first run on Netflix or whatever, it ends up on Shutter. So maybe I'll give you a list of things you may want to catch up on there. And of course, AMC Plus also has some interesting content. Dark Winds, for example, is a show that I've only watched about half of, but it is pretty good. Uh, so maybe I'll put a list together for next week if you do want to 
subscribe for AMC Plus, or at least just take the free month and catch up on some things you may have missed. The next thing I wanted to mention to you, Sona, that I've done some research on, is the strange broken tape motif of the most recent yes. episodes of mm-hmm. The Start. So here is something that you probably didn't notice, and I didn't notice until I did some research. Every season of Better Call Saul up until now has had 10 episodes. Okay. Until this season, which has 13, right? And another thing I did not know, but every single season for the first episode, we have the video play at the beginning of the spider crawling out of the bottle. And every single episode, when we get to the 10th episode, we have the coffee mug tipping over, right? So basically every first episode has the same intro video. Every 10th episode has the same, every second, third, everything in between, right? I'm not giving you every single one of them, but basically every single episode in every single season has that same intro, except that the video is breaking down every season a little more, a little more. So they've been doing this since the beginning of the show. Yep. And the reason that the tape is broken now for the three most recent episodes is because they've never been beyond 10. So they basically do not have (laughs) video to show for those three episodes. So interesting. And one last thing I want to call out here. I have not seen anything about this. I was taking my notes and watching Talking Saul, by the way, which I have a few notes I want to mention on that as well, on some of the feedback from the cast and crew. You know, I basically, while I was taking my final notes of the night, the episode starts playing again. And I noticed that at the very end of the tape, it's like something out of the ring, by the way, at the very end of the tape, there's a figure that we see just for a split second. So once again, I think we're getting teased for something that's coming next week. Mm. So that's all my research and doodads and (laughs) (laughs) hopefully entertaining for everybody. All right. So let's get into the episode itself. This one written and directed by Vince Gilligan himself. Himself, that's right. And next the man week, we, himself. the man himself, but he, the man himself in this case is actually Peter Gould, who uh, is the showrunner on this show. And he will write and direct the last episode, next week's episode. Okay. But here we have Vince Gilligan directing this one, obviously given a whole episode to himself. This one is called Waterworks. And we see two different waterworks of uh, type here in this episode. Maybe more, maybe something else I missed as well. And we begin with Saul in the Breaking Bad timeline, bouncing his ball against the wall. We see his, uh, once again, we kind of see all these like little details in the office. The Yeah, I think it's the we, the people. Yeah. And he's bouncing his rubber ball against there. We also see his diploma. American Samoa. American and, Samoa. <laughs> uh, which involved a discussion in, in my house about whether he maybe had submitted an official change of name in order to get the diploma. Interesting. <laughs> he <named> Saul Goodman. <laughs> Didn't think about that, but that's a very good point. <laughs> We do see the same weird intro, like I mentioned before, but this time at the very last second, everybody, if you have to go back to watch it, check out that weird figure we see in, in, in clear detail, by the way. So unlike this broken tape motif, we see this like one striking black and white figure just for a split second there at the end. It's a little creepy. Once again, going to that David Lynch territory <laughs> that the show has only dipped its toe into recently. And we see that he's basically just bouncing that ball and wasting time. And he's finally tells Francesca, send her in. I actually didn't realize at that moment that this was explicitly Kim. I thought he was just kind of, you know, dealing with the receiving the divorce paperwork. But it turns out, and we'll see later in the episode, that it is explicitly Kim there in the flesh to sign mm-hmm. the paperwork. Then we transition back into the black and white world. But we are not picking up from the cliffhanger from last week. We are seeing a brunette Kim living her Palm Coast sprinklers life <laughs> uh. down in Florida. And ooh, indeed, this is... <laughs> I mean, I mean, this might be worse than the Cinnabon life. I, I, I think I might agree with that. 
maybe the worst part of this whole entire thing is the perfunctory sex they have with the yep yep uh, <laughs> just yikes all of it just so drab so boring yes. so unengaging uh, just very uh, depressing just to watch honestly <laughs> yes it does make me think, though, as I'm watching this, that, you know, if you just kind of took the most mundane vignettes of anybody's life, wouldn't all their lives look like this, which would be a little little depressing to think about. But well, you know, we both have small children at home. So yes. I think in a way. Yes, that's a good point. Like, I wish a day could be that dull. But, um, <laughs> maybe in the future, I'll agree with you in this stage of life. Uh, there's, <laughs> yes. there's more liveliness than I care for on some days. <laughs> And all of these little vignettes that we see here, and there's so many of them, so many little details of, of really grinding you down, <laughs> like really appreciating how mundane and rote her life has become. Are there any of these things that really stand out? One I would call out, first of all, I mentioned that <laughs> we're suddenly in severance <laughs> somehow, <laughs> the show severance. How so? <laughs> well, just, I mean, just the, suddenly being stuck in this really, the drudgery of an office all of a sudden. Oh, well, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And although, I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about The Office, the show The Office, if you want to go in a more <laughs> mundane version of this. <laughs> my The one I, uh, I wanted to call out here that I thought was kind of a funny detail was when they were all sitting around having the conversation about drugs. Whatever happened mm -hmm. to crack? <laughs> Did people just <laughs> stop smoking it? <laughs> and then they start going on and be like, oh, no, the kids today, they're all doing ecstasy. What's the one the where, they where they suck on pacifiers? <laughs> That's ecstasy. They're like, if an adult came in and bought a pacifier, I would just call the cops. <laughs> They must I mean, be on ecstasy. The thing is, okay, I understand what you're saying in that in a way, these are the types of conversations we are all having every day. <laughs> yes. But I guess like just in my life, maybe I'm lucky that I just have livelier personalities around me. Yeah. So even these day-to-day -day humdrum conversations are more interesting in my life than they are portrayed here, right? Like yeah. the stupid mayonnaise thing about <laughs> yes. to, to use the miracle whip because they were out of the mayonnaise, the ecstasy thing, the what kind of cake should we get? <laughs> yes. Like all of these conversations, yes, they are everyday conversations, but maybe I'm just having them with livelier people because they're much more engaging in my everyday life than they are in this depiction. Not to go too much further down this rabbit hole, but don't you find that oftentimes that is the case not necessarily with office conversations, although I have definitely been in offices where the conversations, because you're trying to come up with commonality with people that honestly you have no commonality with. So it usually is extremely mundane stuff. It's like having the conversation at the bus stop about the weather, right? Because what else do you have in common with this random person? I often feel to have this experience when I'm at like a birthday party for my daughter, right? Where all of a sudden you have to talk to all these people and like, what do I really have in common with these people? The only thing you can talk about is these most mundane of all possible topics, right? Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think, um, you know, that's the reason that sometimes in the office, right, you're grateful for that one guy who's always joking yes. or, or whatever it may be. Oh, yeah, it, absolutely. It adds some energy to a space that might all otherwise be completely devoid of any energy whatsoever. Even the person who's like a complete mess in the office, who's always taking things too personally, making everything into a drama, because at least then everybody's going like, what's up with him? Today? Yes, right? something like, to talk about. <laughs> at least something, yes. right? And one last thing on that, which is total digression, but I do find it funny that I've had relationships with people where I'm very close with them at work because the whole relationship is so based on the gossiping about work or the dramas around work. And then once you leave work, you really don't have that much in common with them anymore. Like you try to stay friends, but it kind of drifts apart. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway, so we've all lived this life at some point. <laughs>
I did love the mayonnaise, like you mentioned. I do love her. Uh, <laughs> she does not like Miracle Whip. It's too sweet. <laughs> and basically, she writes copy for this catalog. So really, think about Kim Wexler. And like you said, this is this crazy, maybe a self-imposed purgatory she's put herself into. But she seems to be, we have to assume, very unfulfilled in this life. Yeah, I think in some ways she is punishing herself for everything that came before by finding the most drama-free life that she could possibly find yeah, and not ever engaging anything that could possibly come anywhere near that aspect of her personality that likes excitement. Right, right. But boy, is it grim. Yes. But we do get to see the call, right? We, we were kind of teasing last week. I hope we mm-hmm. get to hear that call. And we do hear it. And, you know, surprisingly, when we saw how violently Saul reacted to it, it does not seem that violent. I guess her stoicism is the violence that he perceives in her reaction to him, right? I thought you might want to know I'm still alive. Yep. I'm still out here, still getting away with it. Feds couldn't find their own ass with both hands and a proctologist. You shouldn't be calling me. Oh, hey, you're awake. You shouldn't be calling. Why not? What am I? Tying up the line for important irrigation business? Come on, Kim, say something. You can call me an asshole. Yell at me. Just let me know you still got a pulse. Just say something. You want me to say something? Yeah. You should turn yourself in. To what? You heard me. but it can't be much. Set a pot to the kettle? What? That is that is really rich. You, you preaching to me? See, you have no idea what I did or didn't do, okay? And, and why don't you turn yourself in? Seeing as how you're the one with the guilty conscience, huh? What, what is stopping you? Brings in the ground. Mike's in the ground. Lalo's in the ground, apparently. You don't have to hold back on my account. They can only hang me once. So, so go ahead. Spill your guts. Put on your hair shirt. See what it gets you. Why? Kim, why are we even talking about this? We're both too smart to throw our lives away for no reason. Just, I just... I only wanted to... Kim. Kim... I'm glad you're alive. Yeah, I mean, I will say um, I did understand the or I related to like how offended he was at the idea that she's telling him you should turn yourself in. Yeah. As if and I mean, this all plays out later, you know, but in that moment, like it just seemed like a little bit sanctimonious for someone who's not perfect herself, you know? (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, and I mean, I guess that is why she does what she does. Yeah, for sure. And that's very much Kim's thing as well, right? Where she somehow can dodge her own self for only so long because then when she's confronted with it, she <laughs> has to take action at least. So we find out it's been six years, six years since the divorce, right? Mm-hmm. And her biting last remark, I don't think she's trying to be cruel here, but the whole idea of just saying like, I'm glad you're alive and hangs up the phone. I actually think she means that. I think so too. But he takes offense to that, obviously. Just she thinks he perceives it as the, her coldness, which once again, as we've learned from Kim, that coldness masks a lot of other stuff, right? I like Tammy's birthday 
shenanigans going on in the background, by the way. I actually jumped <laughs> when that uh, woman walks into the room to tell her the cake's ready to be cut. <laughs> I was just not <laughs> like, you know, I was just like so much in her mindset when she hangs up the phone. And then suddenly they're like, Kim, she's like, ah. <laughs> was it vanilla or strawberry? Did we ever find out? <laughs> oh, I don't even know. It's hard to tell in black and white. And then, of course, like you said, this all pays off that we know we see Kim flies into Albuquerque. And it's very interesting when she shows up at the courthouse and she sees that defense attorney preparing mm-hmm. her um, client, making him wear a tie, tucking in a shirt, wear a jacket. Of course, all her things- old life. Yeah, exactly. So the pangs of recognition. And the, the shot of her driving into the parking lot was nice, too. Oh, yes. The, booth real quick. the empty booth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just a reminder that that booth is now empty and it holds on that very interestingly. And then she goes and makes a statement at the courthouse and then goes and presents it to Cheryl. This scene was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and Cheryl reads through, you know, we see snippets. She confesses to everything, every single detail. Of what mm-hmm. mm-hmm. do you think about this whole scene? The most painful moment in this whole entire thing is that Kim basically saying, hey, you know, he didn't suffer. It all happened in an instant and he didn't, he didn't suffer. He didn't suffer. The lies you two made up, the picture you painted, that's all he is now. That's all anybody remembers. I want to change that. What happens now? Will you be tried? Will you go to jail? I don't know. You're a lawyer, right? You're a a great one, Howard said. How could you not know? Bernalillo County has my affidavit. It's up to the district attorney whether to prosecute. And she may not. Why? There's no physical evidence. No remaining witnesses other than my ex-husband, assuming he's still alive. I could sue you in civil court. I could take everything you've got. Yeah. doing this the the way you tarnish his reputation it's all anybody thinks of him and i think that is very very biting yeah i think it was and it was spot on right that never mind that exact moment but this guy felt like he was losing his mind probably for several weeks beforehand you know which is like very disconcerting so and then yeah the fallout from all of it is as awful as the murder was it's not really about that in retrospect Exactly. But if he had survived, at least he could have rehabilitated his yes. his career or the perceptions people had of him. But of course, this is the punctuation on his whole life, which is very sad. And of course, it all comes crashing down waterworks on Kim, where she's taking the bus back to the airport and uh, she just breaks it down. Right. She just has a very. This is really a tangent. But yeah. before we knew where this scene was heading and they showed her on the rental car bus, uh, my husband and I had a conversation about how much we hate the rental car bus. That <laughs> yes. it's just, you know, like it's just either you have finally arrived from an awful flight to your destination and you just want to get to the hotel. And it's like, now this, like wait in line for the rental car bus, get on the bus, load your luggage, wait in the line to get the car. Or your vacation is done and you just want to get home and you're stuck on the rental car bus. And so we have this whole conversation and then she bursts into tears. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the only thing that could make this experience more awful <laughs> exactly the person you're sitting next to is now hysterically crying for some reason but um that's a complete tangent yes the drama of the moment was still there that this has all been building up for such a long time for her I did like the little detail that at the end, you know, as she's really getting more and more hysterical and crying, that this hand comes in, this old yes. woman's hand comes in just to give her a little pat on the arm and maybe think of two things. One is like how sweet that is. And also I think about when I've seen that in public, when that has actually happened, not exactly this, but similar, that it almost feels like the old lady is there for that purpose. She's the only person who can get away with it, right? You don't want like a teenage kid doing that. You don't want like some 40 year old guy. <laughs> the old woman seems to be like yeah. compassionate and also not threatening enough to, yeah. to, to provide that condolence. And the old women will have their, their revenge, I should say, in this episode as well, right? By the end. Uh, in a big way. So yeah, so we cut, we come back from this commercial break actually where she's crying on the bus. And now we jump to that cliffhanger where we left off. And Saul's breaking into the house. Mm-hmm. of cancer man and he gets all the usual stuff he even finds his passwords he does everything he needs to do to get out of there but he doesn't get out of there and it just once again doubles down on something we were discussing last week where i feel like he wants to get caught don't you think he wants to get caught yeah i think we're kind of seeing the different ways that saul and kim are punishing themselves yeah. for everything that came before his behavior here is so reckless yes and so unadvisable <laughs> yes. that it could only be, you know, on some level purposeful, I think. I mean, overall in this episode, I can't remember if we've ever seen such an awful side of Saul, right. um, someone right. who is not perfect by any means, but I'm not sure we have ever seen it this bad. What's crazy about this too, and maybe this is something I'm just realizing now, is the intention of the filmmakers here that we see this fighting duality within Kim and within Saul, because like you mentioned, he puts himself intentionally into the riskiest position he can, which is this kind of self-flatulation, like you mentioned. And then once he's in there, he's cornered, he literally multiple times in this episode threatens to kill somebody to escape that situation, but a situation that he has put himself in. So that battle, this deadly battle is happening inside himself, right? Because if the self-preservation side of him was winning this war, he would never put himself in that situation. And then, of course, the self-destructive side is putting himself in harm's way, but then like literally willing to kill to get out of it. It's like you did this to yourself. And, and I think that is this part of this psychology he cannot reconcile. And I think Kim, on the other hand, her better angels are winning out, right? Like she's basically mm -hmm. saying, I'm not going to do a half measure. I'm going to do all of this, right? So I think maybe we're seeing those two sides of these two personas playing out in very different ways. I think so too. Although in fairness, I thought he was just going to conk the guy on the head with the dog's ashes, not necessarily kill him, like just make him pass out. I yes. Felt. I mean, I don't think, <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, you know, it, I, what I would say to that is that, you know, taking somebody who is inebriated already and drugged and conking him on the head, you are endangering their lives <laughs> in a way, yeah. you know, you know, so. Yeah. It's tricky to say the least, because at that point, just the stupidity of it, you know, once you knock this guy out, even if he survives, all he has to do is tell whoever shows up, the police, the events of the night and can still turn him, you know, still give himself away. So this, you know, there's, sure. so it raises the question of how far he's willing to go. Do we want to go back to Saul skulking around the house when he kind of, I, I don't know if we, I, mean, I could cut it out if it's not interesting, but 
what did you think about him? You know, first of all, he he goes back. He's about to make a clean getaway. He goes back in, goes to drink some of the whiskey, mm-hmm. hangs out upstairs, takes some of his watches, takes his watches. This is I evidence, know. Evidence. What that is someone, that even about? Yeah. Yes. What is that? I mean, yeah, it's not something that we've seen Saul be interested in doing that type of stuff before. And it just seems mean and petty for somebody that does not uh, deserve this whole situation at all, like adding yep. insult to injury. It makes sense that the character is hitting a rock bottom, but it didn't make any sense for someone, as we've discussed, is has any sense of self-preservation to be doing this type of stuff. Right. And I just think about the fact that, think about it, even from a practical stand of view, even from a pragmatic point of view, how insane this is, because if you've just gone in there and you're trying to steal their identity, and now you're proving that, no, I took his watches also, then it's like, how are you going to sell that? Like, he's going to assume, for example, that, you know, something got compromised. You're basically diminishing the value of the identity theft if he knows for fact that someone was in there. But I guess he did that as soon as he broke the window too, right? So at that point, mm-hmm, he probably would mm-hmm. be smart enough to freeze all his accounts anyway. So yeah, it's it just seems so self-sabotaging. Just yet another example of that. I do like this whole thing. You know, we t- had a tease in last week's episode, and this show is always a show that plays with our expectations. We saw the police arrive. We're wondering what is mm-hmm, going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And of course, it turns out to be something really hysterically funny that first of mm-hmm. all, they simply are hanging out there complaining about the food they picked up at the taco stand, probably in the middle of the night. Too, I mean, at this point, we know it's like two or three o'clock in the morning. So can't be very good. Like, I'm not picking up fish tacos. My God, fish tacos Who at two o'clock in the fish morning. taco in Nebraska, as his partner pointed out. <laughs> right. What are you doing, man? In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was a horrible <laughs> decision, first of all. Uh, you know, 15, what do you say? 1,500 miles away from, from the ocean. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we see that... <laughs> Jeff in the car is panicking. He's worried. He thinks the cops are there for him. And of course, he jumps on the accelerator and crashes into a car right there in the neighborhood. Very hilarious payoff to this whole entire thing. You know, I thought for a moment that Jeff was actually purposefully trying to cause a distraction by crashing into the car. But it turns out that he's just... that reckless i guess (laughs) no i don't know that would be really dumb because the crash is so close to the house i was thinking if they're following him and he wants to actually give saul a getaway then what he would do would just be to drive around the corner because then the cops would pursue him and then you know by the time they pulled them over he could even like like pull out into another neighborhood and then the cops would be like hey didn't you see my lights and like oh i didn't think i thought you were just trying to pass me or something right but basically Mm. you could get them a a mile away from the house (laughs) not not crash like in front of the house which is a very bad okay (laughs) very bad place to crash your car if you're trying to be incognito so then we go back into the breaking bad timeline more or less actually because i guess this is still pre-breaking bad but we do see the continuation of that sequence where kim signs the paperwork Saul at this point is, you know, once again, we know Saul, he is incapable of dealing with his emotions. So he has shut down completely and is, you know, will not reconcile, won't, won't even have a moment of reconciliation here with Kim, just blows her off like no big deal. But of course, we know he's really hurting inside and uh, that's it, blows her off. And we do yeah. get to see her interact with Aaron Paul. I think he does a better job here of channeling. I agree. And I guess he's being directed by Vince Gillian, his old school Breaking Bad author. So I guess, you know, maybe they do a better job of getting into the agency mm-hmm. mind frame. And I thought this was interesting. She asks, you know, hey, you know, my friend, he just came here because of the TV commercial. You don't pick a doctor because of a TV commercial. What do you think about this guy? How is this any different? You know? 
Anyway. This guy. Any good? When I knew him, he was. And this also, um, we talked about it, but we didn't just tie it back in. The idea of the waterworks, right? This is the yes. second time now. Yes. So we saw her burst yep. into tears on the rental bus, which yep. like, oh, turning on the waterworks. And then we see this actual torrential rainstorm in the middle of the desert, as as uh, Jesse Pinkman is pointing out, why the hell is it pouring like this in the middle of the desert? <laughs> I, thought this was a, I thought this was a desert. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, we get to the end here. We see the fallout from everything that happened in front of that house. Saul has taken a bus home. Interesting bus riding motif in this episode. Mm-hmm. Jeff calls dad. Saul is waiting for the call. He tries to do his you know usual magic when he's waiting for the call to come. And that almost works. It's only off by a few seconds. Jeff calls dad, which of course is Saul. Saul gives him some sound advice saying, hey, look, if you rob the house, there's nothing in your car, et cetera, and so forth. Right. So there's many reasons to say that this guy is innocent. So if he just sits tight, he will probably be okay. It is suspicious, of course, that he dropped this guy off at the house. And then, you know, X number of hours later, he is still there. So he tells uh, Jeff to sit tight. And he goes, you know what? I can't bail you out. I need your mom to do it. It's going to look suspicious if I do it. Sounds better if it comes from your family. I'm going to go talk to your mom right now. Calls Marion on the phone, Carol Burnett's character. Mm -hmm. And something he says when just he seems to know too much about the law makes her suspicious. So she decides to break out the PC again. Now that she Mm -hmm. has that handy dandy laptop and she does some Googling and she puts her headphones in so she doesn't hear when Saul arrives. I did want to call out that on the ride over, Saul is singing The Tide is Hide by Blondie. Very funny mm-hmm. here. Uh, we've all done this before where he immediately starts singing The Tide is High in the wrong place. And then he just shuts up because he realizes he missed the part of the song he was supposed to sing. I totally missed that. <laughs> the second thing I want to point out here, I love these little details that Gilligan puts into his shows, by the way. And uh, the second thing I want to point out is that earlier when he was singing Brandy in that karaoke bar, yes. I was like, oh, my God, he's playing up how bad he is. No, he's a horrible singer. <laughs> I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if Odekirk himself is this bad a singer, but boy, <laughs> this is as bad as you can get at karaoke. I think another thing, interesting thing I want to call out is when he does get to Carol Burnett's house to um, Marion's and he finds out what she's looking at. She has discovered that she's saw, he's Saul Goodman. And he first thinks, oh, Jeff said something. And she goes, no, I just put in Con Man and Albuquerque and you <laughs> came up right away, which I think is awesome, which is probably true, right? He must be extremely famous world, you know, nationwide. The other interesting thing is we only see the ad reflected in his eyeglasses, but the ads are in color. I thought was interesting considering that, you know, everything obviously is in black and white in this sequence. Yes, that was interesting. I don't think it represents anything more than the fact that it's just like a little artistic flourish to show that that time frame is still in color, right? And theoretically in his mind, right? Like his whole life has been drab since that moment. And yeah, so that leads us to the very last minute moments, I should say, of the episode where Carol Burnett is about to push her life alert button. Saul has pulled the the phone out of the wall to prevent her from making a phone call to the police and starts winding it around his hands. Yes. Ominously, right? Mm -hmm. And then takes the life alert necklace away from her but she just says, I trusted you. And this somehow melts this fugue state he's been in, this like evil Saul persona that he's been in for a while. And he steps away from her. And of course, she pushes the button and triggers the, the call. But yeah. What did you think about this last moment in his change of heart? And do you think he was really going to kill her? That's the question, right? And 
in the moment I did. And I thought like, again, wow, this is the ugliest side of this character that we have ever seen that he could even consider doing something like this. For some reason, in retrospect, I feel like he wasn't going to and was just trying to scare her. Yeah. Uh, And I don't really know what shifted my thinking in that regard. But in the moment, I definitely felt like he was willing to do it. And I was horrified by it. Yeah, I mean, I would have to assume that it had to be just a a purely a threat, because one of the things I thought about is if she gets killed at this moment, who are they going to go after? He his whole persona is blown up, basically. Like, it's not like he can go back to working at Cinnabon because Jeff will turn yeah, him in or Jeff's uh, for sure. friend will turn him in if Jeff, if not Jeff, right? Jeff's going to be like, I, I know who did this. <laughs> he works at Cinnabon in the mall, <laughs> right? So, and then of course, once they get there, they're going to know who's Saul. So it's, it's not rocket science to, to connect the dots here. If he threatens her, he's only buying himself an hour or two, because even if he threatens her into not pushing the button at that moment, and then what is he going to do? Get her to go bail out Jeff before he talks? Yeah. Then she, while she's at the police station, she's just going to be like, I'm safe right now. I'm going to go talk to a police officer. There, it, what does he buy himself? Minutes, right? So it's not, uh, maybe he's just doing that calculation. But I do see him soften. So I do think he. You know, as I'm talking about it with you, I think the way the rest of the scene played out is what made me think that it was just a threat because he does back off and he does run away. I think, you know, something about the way he responded to her after that moment made me think like he was just trying to see if he could scare her into shutting up. But once it was clear that couldn't be done, then like cut his losses and get out. Yeah. Now, listen, I'm still the good friend you thought I was. Okay, Jeff understands me. Buddy understands me. And you will too. Just have to, uh, you know, keep things on an even keel. All right. What have you got there? Put that down. Final warning. I trusted you. I do agree that, you know, I think that was just a threat and he was just trying to look imposing. And then partially this calculation, partially just seeing her as a person there again, this person that he really did seem to have befriended at some point, his better angels are in control momentarily. So we get a moment from next episode, which is the wrecked car. And we hear Saul doing the vacuum code in his mind, right? So what do you think this hints at for the finale? I don't know. Can he disappear himself again? From <laughs> Is he going to call the vacuum man again? I think he's definitely going to try, right? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't seem to have many other, well, I don't know, maybe given the amount of time that's elapsed and this new identity, maybe it, it would be possible for him to go to Canada and start over. I don't know. Just picking the nearest border. He is close to Canada, which is probably part of the reason he picked where he is, but I mean, they have extradition, right? But I mean, he would still buy him some time. He could always disappear again while he's up there during the extradition process. I mean, one scenario is he dies, which of course would be one ending. Another ending, and maybe a more fitting ending, I think, would be for him to be disappeared. Uh, You know, we see him in Canada, let's say, for example, under some other identity and an even more drab and non-functional version of his life. And, you know, maybe apropos to, to Saul, he refuses to accept blame for what he's done and he's just living in this smaller and smaller 
world, the smallest smaller box mm-hmm. he's putting himself into. I think that would actually be maybe more apropos to the show, but it remains to be seen what, what happens. Do you think we'll see Kim again? Do you think we'll see Walt again? I think we will see Walt again, maybe. I mean, obviously in flashback, right? You would assume they would bring him in a little bit more. I do think we'll see Walt again. I feel like we, that might be it for Kim, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, they, they give her a I lot of like screen time. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, I mean, this episode was half about her, yes. right? And yeah. if yeah. not more than half. Yeah. And I think this was like, yeah, her farewell. It's like, this is the, the path that she's chosen. And they kind of made clear that even though she came clean, it's very unlikely there will be any consequences for that. Right. Uh, so she's just going to go back to her, the banality of her Florida office space life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. They, I think they made it pretty clear in the way the episode is written to say the DA can pursue charges, but they probably won't because how do you right. make this case? It's going to be an expensive case that has no evidence. Even if she confesses to it, what are they going to get her on? And then, uh, what Cheryl says to her, she's like, I can sue you and take everything you have. But Cheryl's like a, a millionaire. You know, she inherited a chunk of the this business that, of course, was successful and maybe even more successful now. And what does Kim have? You know, she gets like, she's probably living check to check. So, okay, yeah, you can take everything she has. What's that? <laughs> it's, it's not, exactly. much, not much satisfaction in doing that, right? Other than just torment Kim, but it's like, well, how much, you know, that that's going to get boring after <laughs> a year of her knowing that she's eating tuna sandwiches every day that's not really you know how satisfying is that going to be it's just uh it's not going to fix the the underlying wound going back to maybe the best episode in my opinion the best episode we've seen of the show maybe ever but definitely this season which was that kind of moment after lalo dies that episode where everybody's kind of recuperating and we see nacho's dad say vengeance itself just has its own cost in a way right Mm -hmm. because you can never get past whatever your wound is and uh, that's the same thing right what's cheryl going to do be vindictive forever. Right. So anyway, yeah, interesting. I didn't love this. I mean, I shouldn't say I didn't love this episode. I should say that I don't think this is just my gut feeling now. I don't think at this point that the show is going to nail the landing in the way that Breaking Bad did. It's not that kind of show. I don't think I could be completely wrong about this. I would love to have one of these kind of iconic final episodes. But for me, having that episode, the one after Lalo dies, is so exceptional that for me, that is really, in a way, the finale of the show, right? It's just like kind of seeing everybody in this moment before we know everything's going to go horribly wrong, right? But we just kind of see them all uh, in this kind of moment of reflection. And that's the kind of show that is, I think, Saul is at its best. So I'm already happy with what we've gotten. I don't have expectations that the finale is going to knock my socks off, but I'd love for that to be the case. I don't think this is a show that leaves you with that satisfied feeling right. that Breaking Bad did of like tying up loose ends and ticking all the boxes. I think this show dwells in that uncertainty of having loose ends and <laughs> unanswered questions. Yep. So yeah, I agree with you. Like I think Breaking Bad was one of the all time most satisfying finales to watch. Right. Um, just because it, packaged it all up, everything you've been watching for years. I don't think we're going to get that here. Yeah. And like you said, um, Breaking Bad is the kind that kind of show where it was, you know, about this mundane guy who turns into Scarface over the course of (laughs) (laughs) the the series. And then he and then we get to see all those aspects of it. Right. He reconciles with his family. He gets to be the big, uh, you know, he gets to have this very elaborate and crazy uh, massacre at the end. 
uh, he dies for all, you know, and we knew inevitably he had to die, but he died in his own terms instead of just wasting away due to cancer, something he was terrified of. So it kind of satisfies, it hits, checks all those boxes. And to your point, I don't see those check boxes even in a show like Better Call Saul. So I don't know right. how, how you're going to tick them off because that's like, if anything, we wanted to see Lalo die. We knew he was going to die and he did die. <laughs> that already happened. Right? There you so, have it. <laughs> so the show has to kind of give us something else at the end. But like I said, that that episode after Lalo's death is so exceptional that I'm already very satisfied with what the show's given us. And I thought this was a very good episode, by the way, still. So. I agree. All right. A few things from Talking Saul. I find this very funny. First of all, was that uh, Rhea Seahorn was on there via Zoom. Mm-hmm. Oh, they interviewed everybody, by the way. They t- interviewed Jonathan Banks. And he was just, you know, really nice. I mean, I, I recommend people. I think this will probably end up on YouTube. They're talking Saul segment. And I just thought it was really nice to have him say that, like, he goes like, you know, you only have an experience in your life that changes your life so fundamentally, so late in your life. And he goes, I'm so beyond, like, lucky for everything that's happened to me. Just really sweet. And Tony Dalton talking about, like, he's so honored to have had this type of role. He goes, who can get this kind of role in their lifetime? And then, you know, of course, they, that, that was pre-recorded, and everybody, Vince Gilligan was there and Oda Kirk was there. Rhea Seahorn was there via and uh, Peter Gould, of course, was there as well. And they're just talking about how incredible just once they cast Tony Dalton, that like it just changed that character. So fundamentally, they make the analogy that he's like James Bond, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to like our usual, like psychopathic Salamancas, right? <laughs> and they go, you have somebody like uh, Tony Dalton, who just like personally is so charismatic. And of course, you have to use that as part of the character and just like how iconic that is, of course. And of course, they talked to um, Giancarlo Esposito. He said that he's talked to Tony Dalton about, you know, having a whole career and then having this kind of being like a button late in your career. And once again, how lucky they are. So anyway, just really everybody just a love fest. And they just seem to be these people who really loved working together. So it was really just great. But Rhea Seahorn tying into the episode did talk about how she lives up in New Hampshire, by the way, where she's uh, speaking from. And she said that uh, she the the Miracle Whip thing is her own thing. She was like went on a whole tirade about how Miracle Whip is too sweet. Can't make tuna salad with Miracle Whip. It's too sweet. And then she like even boasted of a local New Hampshire mayonnaise that she put to the camera. Like she actually like gave him some free promotion. The funniest thing that happens this whole entire interview, by the way, is that Oderkirk says that of course he's upset with her. She's giving him nothing on that phone call and he hasn't seen her in a year and a half. And then Peter Gould, (laughs) everybody on the set basically says six years. And he goes, oh, six years. That makes sense. He goes, I don't actually watch this show. (laughs) (laughs) It's very funny that he got the time frame wrong. Like everybody on set, including like the, you just yell at him, like six years. It's in this episode. It's in the very episode we just watched. So I do recommend that. Check that out. It's available on cable. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be on their YouTube channel. I've seen previous episodes of this on their YouTube. Nothing too deep in understanding the behind the scenes. And of course, they're probably playing their cards close to the vest because they're afraid of leaking stuff that isn't going to pay off till next week. So and I'm, I'm sure they'll have more to say then. All right. So very much looking forward to next week's episode. Of course, the finale yes. of this really great show. Uh, hopefully something really surprising. I, I don't know where they're going with this, so I'm, I assume I'll be surprised whether I'm happy or not. I'll be surprised. So. <laughs> All right. So thanks again for the conversation, Sona. Thank you. 